Welcome to another Salvation by Grace midweek message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You'll find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. We are currently studying the book of Psalms. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA, along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty. Tonight we are going to be looking at perhaps the most popular psalm in the entire book of psalms. Even people who don't know the Bible, people who are not Christian, know the Lord is my shepherd. They at least know that phraseology and, oh my, it's been written on t-shirts and lampshades and posters and even bumper stickers. It's been popularized all over the world. Let me hand out a couple of verses to begin this evening, and then we will get to these verses eventually. Steve, if you would, your verse is going to be Isaiah 40, 10, and 11. Tom, you're going to be reading Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Jeff, you feel like reading something? 1 Peter 5, you're going to read the first four verses. And like I said, we will get to those eventually. When Tom and I were out in Los Angeles, I worked a lot of very late nights at the ministry there. And on my way home in the middle of the night, on the AM dial, there was a preacher that I used to hear with great frequency, a black preacher who had a reader A man would read a verse, and then the preacher would comment on it. And part of the reason that I enjoyed listening to him was because of how peculiar and bizarre his interpretations were. For instance, I'll give you an example. Uh, He once argued that even God does not know who's in heaven. His text was, I'm not joking, his text was, our Father, who art in heaven. Okay, so that gives you some idea of the level this guy was working at. One of my favorite misinterpretations of his has to do with Psalm 23, verse 1. He argued that Christians, while admitting that the Lord is our shepherd, that it is perfectly within the realm of Christianity to also not want Jesus. And of course, his text was, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. A complete misreading and misunderstanding of that verse. The Lord is my shepherd. When David said this, David himself had been a shepherd And that shepherd language follows from David forward all the way to Christ. Christ himself picks up that shepherd language. The shepherd language is 
pervasive in the Bible. You cannot read the Bible and you cannot read Old or New Testament without bumping into this shepherd language. So we're going to start this evening by talking about the shepherd language and the significance of it and how even Jesus utilizes that language because we here in 21st century America, we're not as familiar with shepherding. Anybody here got a flock at home? Anybody got some goats and sheep you're taking care of on a regular? So because we are not shepherding people, we don't understand some of the allusions, some of the direct references that David and Jesus make by using shepherd language. So let's start tonight by going back to 1 Samuel and talk about how it is that David became king in the first place. In 1 Samuel 16, I'm going to start reading right at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul, who at the moment was king of Israel? But God said, I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, how can I go when Saul hears of it? He will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to Yahweh. And you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? And he said, In peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Then it came about when they entered that he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And next Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all of your children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest and behold, he is tending the sheep. That is very typical in Middle Eastern families, even in shepherding families to this very day. The youngest is usually the one who ends up tending to the flock because it was a thankless job. It was a dirty job. It wasn't a job anybody really wanted to do. It could be a lonely job. And you were separated from the family and oftentimes from the larger society. And so David is out tending to the sheep. He's the youngest one. So Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for I will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with beautiful eyes, and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. 
And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David and from that day forward. And Samuel rose and he went to Ramah. So at the point when David was anointed king, he actively was a shepherd. David knows what it is to shepherd. He knows the ins and outs of shepherding. And as I said, that shepherd language, once established in David and by David, is picked up several times in the Old Testament in reference to Christ himself. And then Christ shows up and announces himself to be the good shepherd. So he is the fulfillment of all of that shepherding language that starts all the way back here in David. Now, it would be real easy to read Psalm 23 for just its poetic content. And I think that's the way that most people read it to this very day because we're so familiar with it. It's just a recitation that children learn in Sunday school class. And we kind of miss the historical reality of what David was actually writing when he wrote this. When he wrote this psalm, he was not trying to write his greatest hit. He didn't know this was going to be the psalm that was going to be the one that people saw as the most memorable or the most significant or the most emotionally impactful or the most poetic. He was writing about what he was actually going through. When David wrote this, he was actually on the run from King Saul, and he was, in fact, surrounded by enemies. And so naturally, he would write things like, you have prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies, because as he was on the run, God provided for him on a daily basis, kept him alive, kept him fed. David likened it to God preparing a table for him day by day, despite the fact that he was surrounded by his enemies. So that phraseology, if we weren't thinking about it just in popular poetic terminology, we would understand that this is yet again a testimony from David of the faithfulness of God in providing for him, even as he is on the run from people who are trying to kill him. And his enemies were trying to kill him, which is why he would say that he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, because he was literally on the run for his life. Once you understand that in its context, I think it becomes much more impactful. Yes, we read it and we take it to ourselves and we say, yeah, this life is hard. And as we're walking through this life, it's like walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And so we think of it in poetic terms. David was writing about it in very realistic terms. Even though he used poetic language to describe it, walking through that valley of the shadow of death, he actually literally was. And so as we read the six verses of this very short psalm, we have to remember that David was writing about what he was actually encountering at the time, and he was not writing thinking, boy, someday people will think this is really an emotional and singable psalm I'm writing here. And that's why he starts with this shepherd language and says that the Lord is his shepherd. We have talked a lot here at GCA through the years about the shepherd-sheep language and analogy that is used in the Bible. Sheep are not, by and large, smart animals. Sheep have a tendency to do things like fall in ditches. Not real bright. 
Sheep also have no defensive weapons. When a lion or a wolf or any animal descends on a sheep, the sheep has no ability. He doesn't have any teeth to bite with. He doesn't have any claws to defend himself with. Sheep are literally just prey for all the wild animals. And so it is necessary if a sheep is going to mature and if he's going to be useful, which sheep were very useful in Middle Eastern society 2,000 years ago, not only for food, but for their wool, even for the fat of their tail. There were so many parts of a sheep that could be utilized, or the milk even, that you could get from goats. Sheep were such a necessity in keeping a society and keeping life going. And yet, they were just open prey for every animal that wanted to kill them or eat them. So it was absolutely necessary. If you were going to have sheep, you had to have a shepherd. You had to have a protector. Now, the two things that a shepherd typically carried with him that David mentions in this song is a rod and a staff. And those are both instruments for taking care of sheep. The rod was usually a stick, but on one end of it, there would be a hard ball. Sometimes they would even hammer like nails and spikes through it so that if a wild animal came up, they could swing that at the animal in order to defend the sheep from this wild animal coming at them. And then there was the crook, the shepherd's crook. You've probably seen one, another stick that kind of has a hook on the end of it. Usually a hook, not always. But the whole objective of that staff with the hook on it was to pull sheep out of a ditch or to get them out of the mud. And if a sheep had wandered into a ditch and couldn't get out, if the shepherd went down there with his hands to get him, he'd end up in the mud or in the ditch or in the muck and the mire himself. So it was easier to take a hook, hook the sheep, and pull them back up. So he had these two weapons in his hand. He had a hook in order to save the sheep from himself, to save the sheep from his own foolishness. And then he had this rod with which he could defend the sheep against all of its enemies. David knows this. David has used these implements. David knows the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. He knows the necessity of keeping the sheep safe. And so he says things like, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And when he says that, he knows what he's talking about. Because he knows his dependency on the Lord. And he knows that if he doesn't have the Lord, he's easy prey for all the enemies out there that want him dead physically, or all of the spiritual enemies out there. And yet the Lord is the one who is defending him. And David recognizes his own faultiness, his own frailness. He recognizes his own sinfulness and his propensity for following after his fleshly desires. And so he realizes that the only thing that is keeping him from his own destruction of himself is the fact that his shepherd also has a crook, that his shepherd keeps pulling him out of the trouble that he gets into. We've talked many times about David and Bathsheba. I mean, David fell right into that one and was punished for it. But it was the Lord who saved him from himself and said that the baby was going to die, but that David's sin would not be counted against him. 
Okay, well, what just happened? Well, David worked real hard to destroy himself. And he was not destroyed because his shepherd protected him. And that's why he could say, your rod and your staff comfort me. It's good to know that my shepherd can protect me. It's good to know that my shepherd can protect me from my enemies and protect me from myself because I'm not real smart and I don't have a lot of good defenses. So what I'm getting at here is that Psalm 23 is full of not only realities for David, but confessions by David that all flow back to the first concept, which is the Lord is my shepherd. Now, by the way, one of the things that was required of a shepherd was to make sure that he knew where the newest grass was growing. In the spring, it was pretty easy because you could go right outside the city walls and there'd be plenty of grass, plenty of area to graze. But as the summer went on, as the heat came up in that desert environment, it was more and more difficult to find water and to find grass that you could graze on. So in order for a sheep to have adequate grass for grazing and water to drink, the shepherd had to provide it. The shepherd had to know where it was, and the shepherd had to guide the sheep to it. And as long as it was a successful shepherd who knew what he was doing, the sheep ended up not having any wants. They got enough grass to eat. They got enough water to drink. And so David makes that connection and says, because the Lord's my shepherd, that's why I don't have any needs. That's why I don't have any wants, because my shepherd is a really good shepherd. Which is why verse 2 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Not just pastures, not burned out pastures, but he makes me lay down in the green pastures where there's going to be plenty to eat because he's a shepherd who knows where the grass is currently growing. And he leads me beside still waters. Sheep don't like turbulent water. They like still water. And so a good shepherd who is providing adequately for his sheep knows where the good water sources are and knows where the green grass is. And David, being a shepherd, knows that that's the requirement of the shepherd. And therefore, he can say, it is the Lord who is the shepherd who provides for me everything I need. And he lays me down in places where there's plenty to eat. And he leads me to the places of quiet or still waters. Now, we'll get back to verse 3 in just a moment. But I have handed out some verses. David lived around 1,000 BC. 300 years later, Isaiah is the prophet in Israel. And he picks up that same shepherding language. And he starts using it to point forward to the Christ to come. And that's why Steve is now going to read Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11. And you're going to see how Isaiah has picked up this Davidic thinking of the Christ to come as a shepherd. Steve. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. 
So Isaiah has picked up that same shepherding language that David has introduced and says that God is going to do these things. So he is pointing forward to the Messiah, to the Christ to come, and saying that one of the characteristics that he's going to display is that he's going to be like a shepherd. He's going to gather his flock. It's very much like Jesus saying, I will build my church. And that language of flock and church starts getting combined. Even Christ, when we get to John 10, is going to use that language of, this is my flock, and yet there are others. I have other flocks, but I'm the good shepherd over all my flocks. So that sheep shepherding language continues to point to Christ. I just said John 10. Let's go there. I haven't forgotten about the other verses I've handed out, but we're going chronologically here. Turn to John chapter 10. Keep your finger there in Psalm 23. And we're going to spend a bit of time here in John 10 because this is Jesus saying that he is, in fact, the good shepherd. I'm going to start reading from verse 1. Truly, truly, honestly, honestly, genuinely, genuinely, no lie, no lie, I say to you, He who does not enter by the door of the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Okay, we have no idea what he's talking about there because we don't shepherd sheep. But if you're a shepherd and you have a flock, after a while you have a certain intimacy with that flock. You know which sheep are yours and which sheep are not yours. They may be marked in some specific way, but at some point they have passed under the rod, and that's how they are counted. That's how in the Old Testament they would figure out what a tenth of the sheep were for the tithing. And some people have speculated that perhaps the rod would have a little bit of paint or something on it of a various color, so that as the sheep passed under it, they would be marked as being the sheep of that particular shepherd. When you were traveling further and further from a city, from the protection of the city walls, As you were out looking for green grass and more water, a shepherd had to know how to build a temporary shelter so that he could get any sleep because the shepherd would usually sleep with the sheep, but through brambles and briars and everything else, he would build little temporary walls in which he could keep the sheep overnight so that he could get some rest. But the closer you got to a city, oftentimes outside the city walls, there were actual stone sheepfolds. And in those larger outdoor sheepfolds, there was a guy whose job it was to just stand in the doorway, the opening, the entranceway. There was only one way into that sheepfold. There's only one way out of that sheepfold. And that guy who tended to the sheep inside of that sheepfold He would sit in that doorway. Sometimes he would sleep in that doorway. And that gave the shepherds an opportunity to go into the town and leave the sheep, knowing that they were under the care of what is referred to here as a doorkeeper. He is a shepherd of everybody's sheep, but nobody in specific. When the actual shepherd who the sheep belonged to would return, He would call his own sheep, and those sheep knew his voice, and then they would go out through the doorway. 
But if you were a thief or a robber and you were trying to get some of those sheep, the doorkeeper would not let you through. He would not let you in. You don't have any sheep in here. None of these sheep belong to you. And so in protecting the sheep that are under his care, he would not let you in. So oftentimes, robbers, thieves would go over the wall to try to get in and get some of the sheep. Well, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Everything Jesus has described here, people know. We just don't know it 2,000 years later. But every reference he's made here is exactly what happens outside the city walls at these various sheepfolds. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door, that would be someone who doesn't have sheep in that sheepfold, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he's a thief or a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd to the sheep. And to him, the doorkeeper, the one whose job it is to keep that entranceway blocked so that the sheep don't wander out, to him, the doorkeeper opens. The sheep hear that shepherd's voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and then he leads them out, out of the sheepfold, taking them out to the pasture, out to go get water. When he puts forth all his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And it's by knowing his voice that the sheep know that is their protector. That is their shepherd. So when he goes forth or when he puts his sheep forth, he goes before them. One of the characteristics of shepherding that you have to learn right away is that you can lead sheep. You can guide sheep. What you can't do is push sheep. That's why the shepherd doesn't go behind the sheep. Instead, you have to lead them, guide them, call them by name, keep them moving. And so Jesus says he puts forth all his own sheep and he goes before them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And a stranger, they simply will not follow, but they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Of course not. I mean, Jesus was saying something very obvious to them, and yet what he was speaking was a spiritual reality, that those who belonged to him were going to recognize his voice and follow him. So in verse 7, Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. It's the same way as he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. It's always through me. Jesus always places himself at the center of your religious universe. He says, what happens to you in your eternity is a result of what you think of me. So Jesus once again placed himself as the door to the sheep. Any of the sheep that are going to go out, of the sheepfold and go find food and go find pasture, have to go through me. In a moment, he's going to say, not only am I the door, the passageway for the sheep, I'm also the shepherd. And I'm also the good shepherd. All that came before me, says verse 8, are thieves and robbers, and the sheep didn't hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and go in and out 
and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. I am kalos poimen. I am a good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. There's Jesus right there speaking in terms of limited atonement. He didn't say, the good shepherd lays down his life for everybody's sheep. He said, I lay down my life for my sheep. That's how good a shepherd I am. I protect my sheep, and I save my sheep, and I preserve my sheep. Because I know who my sheep are, and they know me, and they follow me because they know my voice. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and he flees, and the wolf snatches him and scatters them. That's why I said a minute ago it's so important to recognize that sheep have no defense mechanisms. They cannot protect themselves. They are completely dependent on the shepherd to protect them. So Jesus making a difference between all those thieves and robbers that came before him and tried to steer Israel after them and gain followers for themselves. He says they are all pretenders because the sheep don't really belong to them. And therefore, when someone comes, a wolf comes to destroy them, they run away. And then the sheep scatter and the wolf snatches any he wants. Verse 13, and then he runs away because he is a hireling and he is not concerned about the sheep. And then he says again, by contrast, in verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me, I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep, which are not of this particular fold. I must bring them also. And they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me. But I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. And this commandment I received from my father. Verse 19 tells us that they were finally understanding and so excited to hear this that they all recognized him as the most. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it says, and there arose a division again among the Jews because of these words. And many of them were saying, he has a demon and he's insane. And why do you listen to him? What I want you to get out of John 10 is that Jesus uses that sheep shepherd analogy yet again that goes all the way back to Psalm 23, all the way back to David, remembering, again, that Jesus is David's greater son. And so it's not insignificant that God chose a king who was a shepherd, made him a promise that his son was going to sit on his throne forever and establish a kingdom without end, and that that king would declare that he was a shepherd, just like David was a shepherd. So a moment ago, I translated kalos poimen, 
which is the Greek word that is translated good shepherd. You probably heard that word poimen right there. The only other place that you see poimen used other than translated as shepherd is when Paul talks about offices within the church. And he says, God gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some poimen, and some teachers. And so poimen, shepherd, is also the office of pastor. A necessary part of what it is to be a pastor is to lead people. And an invaluable way to understand how to lead people is to pay attention to the shepherding language in the Bible. Tom, I do believe that I gave you Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. The writer of Hebrews now is going to pick up that sheep shepherd language and apply it to Jesus again. Now may the God of peace, who brought you again from the dead of our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So in the benediction of his letter, the writer of Hebrews refers to Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep. Where is he getting that language? Well, it's from Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And Jesus said that because it goes all the way back to David saying, the Lord is my shepherd. So that is actually when David wrote it in Psalm 23, it's actually a fairly prophetic thing. It's a very messianic thing. Not only is he saying the Lord provides for me, but he is saying the Lord himself is a shepherd to his own sheep. And finally, 1 Peter 5. Jeff, I think I gave you that. You're a ways away from You're going to have to read loud. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That language from Peter, where he says, you elders shepherd the sheep that belong to God, and then the chief shepherd is going to come and give you a crown of glory, is where we get the language of chief shepherd and under shepherd. The biggest thing to remember if you are an elder in the church or if you are shepherding any of the people that belong to God one of the chief things you had to remember, even if you were a shepherd in the Middle East 3,000 years ago, one thing you had to know for sure is who the sheep belonged to. If the sheep belonged to God, which is how Peter put it, and since that word shepherd, poimen, is one of the offices within the church, one of the vital elements of being an effective poimen is knowing who the sheep belong to. They're not your sheep. These are the sheep that belong to God. And therefore, Peter says, shepherd them accordingly because the chief shepherd's coming and those sheep belong to him. And he is going to reward you accordingly as long as you shepherd his sheep appropriately. So again, the sheep shepherd language that you find all the way through the Bible even has instruction to it in how you are to shepherd 
and how you are to understand your position as a shepherd of sheep within the church. Okay, so now we're at Psalm 23, finally. It's only six verses, and it'll take us like five, ten minutes to get through it, but I wanted you to see that there's a lot more going on in this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, and everything that means in everything that David was envisioning for what a shepherd is and how a shepherd acts, the protective element of the shepherd, the planning ahead of a shepherd, knowing where the green grass is, knowing where the still water is, knowing who his sheep are, calling his sheep by name, making sure that when he leaves them in a sheepfold, that he leaves them in a safe place and that he's going to return for them. All of that is wrapped up in the shepherd language, and David knows all that. The Lord is my shepherd, so I'll have no wants. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul, even when I think it's over, even when I'm afraid, even when I think my enemies have surrounded me, and that my life is a prey. He restores me. He lifts me up again. His blessings are new every morning. I get up every day and carry on because he's the one who restores my soul day by day by day. I think we could all relate to that. I had a professor years ago tell me, never quit anything at the end of a day. Because at the end of the day, your strength is zapped. You get up in the morning, And God is going to refresh you, renew you yet again. The Bible even says, as thy day, so shall thy strength be. With each new day, God provides you the strength necessary to get you through what he already knows is coming in this particular day. He's the one who restores my soul. And this is a very theological phrase that I think sometimes we just recite our way right past. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. David did not say, I achieve my own righteousness. I accomplish my own righteousness through the decisions of my own mind and the exercise of my own flesh. I achieve God's standards of righteousness. He says it is the shepherd himself in his guiding, in his leading, in his provision. He's the one who takes me into the paths of righteousness. The same shepherd-sheep language here. The same way that sheep follow their shepherd. He says, I can trust my shepherd because he's going to guide me into the places where righteousness dwells. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. For what reason? For his name's sake. How deeply theological is that? He's doing this for me. He's protecting me and guiding me. He's taking me into the paths of righteousness for his own reputation, for his own glorification. He's being kind to me, a wicked, depraved sinner, so that he can glorify himself by the provision of his grace to fallen people like me. He, after all, is a shepherd. He's a complete and sufficient shepherd all by himself. He doesn't need me. He's got plenty of other sheep. And yet he's good to me, yet he's kind to me, yet he provides for me, gets me water, gets me grass, safe places to lay down, guides me in the paths of righteousness, and he does all of that for his own namesake, for his own reputation. So that means he's not only a good shepherd in terms of 
doing good things and being a reputable shepherd, but it means he's so good that he's a gracious shepherd and doing for me what I can't do for myself. He's a really, really good shepherd. And he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his own name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, remember David actually was running from Saul and his armies. David was in constant fear at this point of his enemies who wanted him dead. Remember, part of the reason that we read 1 Samuel was because even Samuel was concerned and even argued back to God when God said, go anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be the next king. Saul's response was, wait, if Saul knows about that, I'm a dead man. And God gave him cover and said, well, take an ox with you and say that you're going there to sacrifice. That'll be your cover story. I mean, Saul is on the hunt for David. Once David is anointed as the future king, Saul knows that that's my replacement. And the sooner he's here taking over the uh, kingship, the sooner I'm out of a job. He wants David dead. So even though I walk through the valley of the very shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because my good shepherd's with me. You're going to protect me. Your rod, your staff, they protect me. Because you're with me, because you're guiding me, because you're providing for me, I don't fear any evil. Not because I'm so strong. Not because I'm so good. Not that I'm so protective. Remember, sheep don't have any defensive weapons. Not because I can do anything for myself, but because my shepherd is taking care of me. I fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff comfort me. (laughs) Knowing that you've got the weaponry gives me a great deal of comfort. Knowing that you can do it. You can ward off the wolf. And if I'm an idiot and I fall into another ditch, even Jesus told a parable in the New Testament about which one of you, if you have 100 sheep and one falls into the ditch, won't you leave the 90 and 9? And go get the one that fell in the ditch. And when you get him, you're going to put him on your shoulders. And you're, going to, and you're going to bring him back into the sheepfold. And so that's a really, really good shepherd. A shepherd who knows each of his sheep and is going to protect every one of his sheep individually. And none of them can be lost. Not because they're good enough and smart enough not to get lost. But because the shepherd won't allow them to be lost. So you protect me, you guide me, you feed me, your rod and your staff comfort me, and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We talked about that earlier. David was provided for. He was fed every day that he was on the run. And he likens it to preparing a table for me in the presence of my enemies. They can't stop me because you're the one that protects me. And you have anointed my head with oil. Really, really interesting language here. Uh, There were three offices in the Old Testament that ever had anointings, which was a pouring of oil onto their head. Prophets, priests, kings are the three different offices in the Old Testament that you ever see as anointed. Jesus comes onto the planet. He is Mashiach, Messiah, Christos in the Greek, Christ. You know what that word means? Anointed. 
He is the anointed one. He is the chosen one. He is the one that God said, this is my king. This is my prophet. This is my priest. This is the one who does intercession on your behalf. This is the one who is the ruler of the kingdom. And this is also the one who prophesies and tells you everything about me you couldn't possibly know any other way. He is the Christ. He is the anointed. Really interesting that David would say, you've anointed me because I am king. And Samuel actually did take his horn of oil and actually did anoint David. That's a reality. We read it out of 1 Samuel. David is saying something very literal, very genuine here. You have anointed my head with oil. That's why I know that I'm going to be king. My cup overflows. Your provision for me is overflowing, overwhelming. Therefore, even though I'm on the run, even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I'm in the presence of my enemies, despite all that, David comes to the conclusion, surely goodness, mercy is the King James rendering of it. The NASB says, loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. So his forward-thinking eschatological hope is, whatever happens to me here and now, I know I'm protected by the Lord who is my shepherd, because he has anointed me. He has told me I'm going to be the king. He has made me a covenant that my greater son is going to sit on my throne. I'm going to believe him for all those promises that he has already made me. But on top of that, through my whole life, I have evidence, even when I'm on the run from my enemies, that you prepare tables for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup is overflowing because you have anointed me as king. Therefore, I am confident that regardless of my circumstances, your goodness, your mercy, your loving kindness is going to follow me all the days of my life. And on top of that, I'm going to dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. And so that's the confidence that David has. And his entire confidence comes from one chief concept, which is the Lord is my shepherd. You have a greater concept of the sheep shepherd analogy in the Bible now? It's one of the reasons that I love Psalm 23, because it declares the complete sufficiency of Christ and our inability to help ourselves or save ourselves or redeem ourselves, we have to have a shepherd because we're just sheep. Good psalm, huh? Yes, it is. Six good verses. <laughs> and so hopefully next time you see it on a poster or a t-shirt or a bumper sticker, you'll think, wow, there's a lot more going on there than meets the eye. Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace midweek message. We encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for books, Q&As, and our ever-expanding archive of audio sermons. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.